one of the pastors here, and I have the honor of walking us through the scriptures this morning. We are wrapping up our summer playlist series, a series where we take a look at the music that has defined our generations, and we unpack it in light of the Christian scriptures, in light of the Bible. Uh, we, we started this series uh, when we moved to in-person gatherings in our parking lot, and as we wrap up the summer, it's a perfect time to close the series, and we're going to do so by looking at the song Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. The American author, David Foster Wallace, he was known to tell a story of some fish. And there was an older fish, and he was swimming, and he passed by two younger fish. And as he passed by, he said, howdy, boys, how's the water? The younger fish acknowledged him, and the two of them, you know, swam away. And a couple minutes later, one of the young fish looked over to the other young fish and said, what the heck is water? And David Foster Wallace tells this story, and he encourages his listeners to pay attention to the seemingly insignificant, banal things in our existence. He he says, and he talks about how, how the seemingly insignificant is actually chock full of significance. The fish whose existence is predicated on the existence of water and their, their immersion in the water have no idea that, that, that they need the water to survive. They don't even know what it is. And his, his illustration shows another thing. The weight of the forces which bear upon our existence that we are unaware of. And culture is one of these forces. You know, uh, the, 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 the culture is like the water the fish swim in. Our culture is really like the air we breathe in that it forms us. It shapes us. It reforms us. You know, the television that we watch, what we, whatever we browse on, on Instagram, the music we listen to, the art we take in. All these things have a formative effect. And the Christian is, it d- does right and good when they examine the cultural forces around them in light of the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ. As they look into it, the Christian is able to determine what is good and what is true and what is noble. Well, it, really to discern what it is that pleases the Lord. The last couple of weeks, we, we really talked about music that has has some really significant emotional pull. And today's song is one of those songs. It's a heartbreak song. It's a song about the ending of a relationship. And we talked about how, how music sucks us in, how we really feel it, we really experience. And this track does exactly that. It'll pull on your heartstrings. Driver's License was released January of 2021 as the lead single on Olivia Rodrigo's new album entitled Sour. And the, the song Driver's License, when it was released, it set and smashed single-day streaming records on Spotify. It drew people in. People were listening to that thing on repeat. It really, it, it spent two months on top of the U.S. Billboard 100 list, and it propelled Rodrigo into near-overnight superstardom. As we unpack the lyrics of Driver's License and really the, the entire content of, of Rodrigo's album, we find a teenage girl singing about heartbreak. You know, she takes us on a journey, and in fact, she uses oddly specific 
language. When we think of a heartbreak song, we, we kind of think of, of, uh, of just general uh, uh, phrases about feeling sad or, or a bit of a lament or, or my heart hurts. But Rodrigo narrates her pain with her experiences. You know, she, she talks about, about driving, getting her driver's license and, and driving past the, the street of her ex-boyfriend. You know, he was supposed to be in the passenger seat with her, but now she's driving alone. She's got that driver's license, but she ain't got anybody to drive with. The dream that she was waiting for has come true, but, but it doesn't look like anything she expected. Didn't live up to the hype. Now, our passage for today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. And we pick up the story after Moses has been called and commissioned by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And after Pharaoh's refusal to release the people, God has sent plague and pestilence upon Egypt. And then Pharaoh finally relented, allowing Moses to lead his people. Yet Pharaoh changes his mind, and as the nation of Israel flees, the Egyptian army comes in behind them. And we pick it up right here. When Pharaoh came near, the people of Israel looked and they saw the Egyptians coming after them. They're within eyesight here. And they were filled with fear and they cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Did we not tell you in Egypt... Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Be strong and see how the Lord will save you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is keep still. Can you remember when you got your driver's license? Do you remember that moment? Maybe you don't have your driver's license. Uh, do, you, do you remember one of those moments of great expectation in your life? Maybe it was your first date with your now partner. Maybe it was your first day of high school or university. Maybe it was the first day of working that dream job. Was it all that you hoped it would be? I can remember the day vividly, the day I got my driver's license. I remember that evening being able to drive to youth group all by myself. But I also remember a couple months later, the regret I felt as I got a speeding ticket for a 64 and a 50. You know, I also remember the conversation where my dad said to me, hey man, if you're going to be driving my car, you know, you got to put some gas into it. And I, and I also remember the, the moment of awakening that my parents had when they realized that now that I had my license, you know, I could drive my brothers to their volleyball games and pick them up from their practices. You know, my, my liberation in getting my driver's license or what was billed to me as liberation turned out to be a huge responsibility. In my experience with my driver's license, maybe your experience with a defining moment in your life or Olivia's experience with her driver's license are pretty typical of the human experience, aren't they? You know, we are by nature storytelling 
meaning-making beings. And one of the ways that we make sense of our existence is by narrating it in a way that, under, that makes sense to us and in a way that others can understand and that we can communicate to them. You know, we look ahead with expectation to, uh, to events that lie in our future. We look with expectation to, let's say, a great example. You have a conflict-filled conversation that is coming up. You have an expectation of what that conversation is going to look like. What do you do? In your mind, you map out the dialogue. Okay, if they say this, I'm going to say that. And if they say this, then I'll reply with this. And you psych yourself up for one of these conversations. But it's not just negative expectations. We have positive ones, too. We go on vacation, and we, we plan a vacation. You know, When you mark off those vacation days, you think ahead to, to camping with friends around a bonfire. Or you think ahead to, to kicking it on the beach or, or touring a cool city or a road trip. So we, we, we in our storytelling and meaning-making-ness, uh, it, it's a part of who we are. We forecast these things. We have expectations. But what happens when the moments that we expected turn out to be less than what we imagined them to be? What happens when, when, like Olivia, your boyfriend is now your ex-boyfriend, and instead of driving up to, to his house together, he's driving around with the blonde girl that always made you jealous? What happens then? What, what happens when you're the people of Israel, and you got the Egyptians nipping at your, your heels, and, and they, they, they don't want to say hi, they want to kill you, you know? You thought you were on your way to freedom, you had the expectation of God fulfilling his promises. But the story's beginning to look different. If you're not familiar with the Exodus story, let me break it down for you. When Pharaoh, uh, or when the Pharaoh of Egypt had had, had the, the Israelites of, as captives for nearly 400 years at this point, he realized that the captive Israelites are beginning to outnumber the native Egyptians. And so he issues a culling of the firstborn. A massacre. But Moses is, is dropped in a basket and he's floated down the river. He's hidden away so that he isn't killed. And he ends up being picked out of the river by the Pharaoh's daughter. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and he's uh, raised in the royal household. Despite being a Hebrew. And God eventually calls Moses to lead the deliverance of his people out of Egyptian captivity, and into the land that God had promised for them. And, and as Pharaoh said, no, I will not release the people out of captivity, God sent plague and pestilence on Egypt, including, uh, as Pharaoh hardened his heart, the wipeout of the Egyptian firstborn sons. And so Moses was to instruct the people of Israel to paint the blood of a lamb on their door frames so that that night God would pass over, hence the celebration of Passover, that, that God would pass over their homes. And Pharaoh eventually relents, and he allows the people to go, and Moses leads them into the desert away from Egypt. But having changed his mind, his army now pursues the people of Israel in the desert. And the people of Israel had, had enough trust in the leadership of Moses to follow his instruction uh, to paint the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. 
Yet when they saw the pursuit of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, they first cried out to God, which, you know, is like generally good advice. Lord, help us. But, but what the author of the passage spends more time on is telling us not how they cried out to God, but how they complained to Moses. You know, the expectation of freedom from captivity looked a lot different in their minds than it did in actuality. It looked a lot different than what God had actually had planned for them. The moment of being free and walking into the land that God had promised your forefathers does not look like the reality of having a body of water in front of you and a murderous army behind you. So they said to Moses, we, we go back to the passage here, is it because there were no graves in Egypt, man, that you decided to take us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Did we not tell you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptian? Like, bro, we told you so. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here. You know, this accusation from the people would have stung deep with Moses. You know, number one, it's like, it's not like we have much time. Are we going to spend our time complaining that I have led us here? But these are people who, they, they say to Moses, were there no graves in Egypt? Which is just a sarcastic and bitter remark because there was nothing but graves in Egypt. The Egyptians were great when it came to ancient burial rituals. That's what they were known for. So this sarcastic person is, is just nitpicking at Moses. Really, this is the complaint of somebody who thinks that they are about to die. They're, they're, they're desperate. You know, suddenly the hardships of 500 years of slavery in Egypt all of a sudden were forgotten. But Moses said to the people, verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand strong and see how the Lord will save you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and all you have to do is keep still. Moses is, is seemingly unfazed by the people's lack of confidence. You know, he knew that God had provided to this point, and he had this confidence that God would provide past this point, right? God's provision was not contingent on, on the people's belief that they were going to prevail over the pursuing Egyptians. And Moses gave three commandments to his people. He said, do not be afraid. Second, he said, be strong or, or stand firm and watch how God will save you. And third, keep still. Don't do a thing. God's got this. The reality of life is that often what we expect does not come to fruition in the way that we thought it would. In the way that we imagined it to. The book of Proverbs, chapter 19, 21, wisdom literature of the Bible. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, I'm a big plans guy. You know, I'm a big A plus B equals C guy. I'm a big writing down my goals guy. I'm a, I'm a big mapping out a plan for success and pursuing that plan kind of guy. And you might not be as type A as me when it comes to, you know, mapping out or planning your future. But you too, in one way or another, are a planner. You know, you have hidden expectations buried deep 
within you of what should be. Expectations of how people should treat you. Uh, uh, Expectations of how your church community should be. Expectations of other Christians. Every area of your life, in one way or another, you have an idea of how things should work. A preferred way of operating. But what do you do when your life circumstances rudely interrupt your plans? What do you do when your life circumstances, or better yet, what do you do when God comes in and usurps your expectations, completely turning them on their head and saying, "Uh uh-uh, I got something different for you. Most of us have been conditioned from a young age to make plans for our lives, to expect that things are a certain way. You know, we even have guidance counselors in every school, and their only responsibility is that you go make something of your life. But the reality of life is that no matter what you plan or what you expect is going to come your way, you have no control over what tomorrow brings. No matter the image that you hype up in your mind about this or that, when something changes, you don't have control over it. You know, no matter the script that you've rehearsed in your head when it comes to addressing that conflict-filled conversation, you really don't know what that other person's going to say. You know, no, no matter the plan that you mapped out for your family or for your marriage, you know, that plan probably didn't include the deep hurt that you might feel right now. You know, the plan for having children didn't look like fighting with them when they are adults. You you didn't have the foresight that the job you prayed so earnestly for would cause you so much stress instead of the joy that you thought it would promise. You, You never thought you would be this age and still so lonely. And the Israelites' dream of liberation didn't include being caught between that large body of water and that murderous army either. You know, Olivia's dream of getting her driver's license didn't include an empty passenger seat. Many are the plans, right? But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And driver's license is a microcosm of the human condition. The story of a girl who placed her everything in her boyfriend only to have those hopes shattered. Her song, some of the lyrics go, I know we weren't perfect, but I've never felt this way about no one. And I just can't imagine how you could be so okay now that I'm gone. I usually sing this at the top of my lungs in, in the car, so it's a little weird. Just to, just, I'm just going to sing it for you. I guess you didn't mean what you wrote in that song about me. Because you said forever. Now I drive alone past your street. You said forever. I believed you. This teenage heartbreak song, it sheds light on the very nature of our storytelling, meaning-making existence, right? We tie our hopes to things. We, we desire a better future. We desire a better day. We believe that something better could be possible. So we attach ourselves to a vision of something. We hope toward something. And let me ask you, what do you put your hope in? When your plans implode, 
when your expectations aren't met, when the inverse of your expectation actually comes to pass, what keeps you going? When the people of Israel had their backs up against the wall, Egypt bearing down on them, the first thing they did, remember, they called out to God. But their prayers again were that afterthought. So what does Moses say to them? What does he say? Number one, don't be afraid. This particular phrase is repeated a hundred times at least in the Old Testament and almost 50 times in the New Testament. It's a phrase, don't be afraid or fear not, that is baked into the story of God's people from beginning of the scriptures to the end to today. Do not be afraid. When God comforts Abraham in Genesis, what does he lead with? Do not be afraid. When Israel's leaders lead the people into all sorts of adventures and scary ones at that, what do they tell them? Do not be afraid. When the prophets, speaking the word of the Lord, tell the people to what? Fear not. In the Gospels, the Virgin Mary is approached by the angel. And what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. You're going to conceive, you know, Jesus. What does Jesus tell his disciples? Don't be afraid. Well, what does the angel say to the women at Jesus' empty tomb? Don't be afraid. He's risen. Well, what does the Apostle Paul say to the churches throughout Eurasia? He tells them that you can truly live without fear. The phrase fear not is repeatedly used in situations where any reasonable person would be absolutely afraid, but also where God's plan, where his promise, where his purpose has yet to come to pass. As Christians who live in the reality of Christ's coming and in the expectation of the new kingdom coming in its totality, who are told to fear not, we know that God is living. We know that he is active. We know that he is working his purposes here and now, even when we can't see it. And it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we can truly begin to confront the reality of our suffering or or the mismanaged expectations or the horrific circumstances that life can throw our way without fear. It's only by God's grace. You know, fear not, and kind of as an extension, everything happens for a reason. It kind of gets fit in there, has been reduced to this general Christian platitude and cliche that, again, should be rightly critiqued in light of of the sinful situation that we are in, the sinful and fallen nature of our world. However, what was it that gave Moses the confidence to say to the people, fear not? His confidence was in the goodness of, and the sovereignty of the Creator God who promised to deliver His people. Now read the narrative. Does Moses know exactly what God's doing? No, but God is continuing to provide a way. God will not leave him, will not forsake him. And no matter what happens, God was in control and Moses knew it. Moses then tells the people to stand strong and to wait for their salvation. To stand strong to remain faithful, to be steadfast. Do not be moved by the naysayers. To challenge someone to stand strong is really to tell them, have faith. Have immense levels of faith. 
to stand strong in the face of, of trial, knowing that your salvation is guaranteed. And for us, it's, it's guaranteed by God's good promises. Our salvation is, is guaranteed by the, the promise of one who brings salvation, a Savior, a salvation bringer, Jesus Christ himself. What's the third thing that Moses says? He tells the people to be still, to stop all action, to rest in inaction even, because God will deliver them. You know, Moses doesn't say, arm up, we are going to fight until God shows up. No, it's with a complete certainty in God's character that Moses can say, be still. This isn't our problem to solve. The idea of resting in the assurance and the character of God is completely foreign to us moderns, isn't it? You know, in fact, it seems completely asinine in some regards. We're taught from a young age that that progress requires action. But the Christian life is uniquely marked by a slower pace. Uh, A keen resting at the feet of Jesus as he teaches. A slow walk on the path that Christ has laid out before us. The way of Jesus is a lesson in learning to slow down. To learn the rhythms of His grace and to learn to listen to the One who invites us to His table. If I can just say it as it is for a moment, man, we are so, so, so fake. When things go wrong in our lives, when our expectations don't align to the reality, the first thing that we do is we look around to see if anybody saw me fall. You know, and then we, we quickly, like, dust ourselves off, you know, save our image a little bit, and, and maybe we, we go and we commiserate with some friends, and on the way there, we turn on driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo, you know what I'm saying? And then those friends, as we sit and talk, they just affirm the living heck out of us, right? They just, they just, they never call us out on our garbage, but they just build us up. And then we put on our pretend face and we act like none of it ever happened. We act like we never even had expectations that didn't come true. We just, you know, we, we just care so much about what other people think of us. And the narrative of our society is that when your back is up against the wall, and when things begin to, to hurt, you just need to surround yourself with people who, who speak good things to you. you know, they, they praise you for who you are. And they definitely shouldn't be people who, who might inject some negativity into your life because the Lord knows you don't need that. But this is a facade that we put up. We pretend that we got it together all the time. But this facade only keeps us away from true community. It only keeps us away from the Holy Spirit of God working a redemptive and a restorative work in our life. Man, who are you fooling? Maybe the reason that we keep ending up heartbroken is that we're actually putting our hope in the wrong things. Maybe the reason that our expectations keep crashing down around us is because the things that we have placed those expectations on have become idols to us that have taken the place of God in our lives. 
You know, instead of, of tying ourselves to our plans or our dreams or our expected dr- out, our ex- our ex- expectations or expected outcomes of a situation, what does it look like for you and I to anchor ourselves to the unchanging character of God? Trusting that His way is a way of deliverance, a way of salvation, a way of sanctification, a way of restoration, a way that is better than anything that this world promises us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself, as each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus Christ calls you and I to reprioritize what we put our hope in. He is the good shepherd who walks alongside his flock. He is the great physician who tends to the needs of the sick and of the broken. Jesus Christ, our Lord, was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, and he died, and he was buried, and he descended into hell, and he rose again on the third day, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And it is this same Jesus Christ that invites us into relationship with him, where he can be our everything, where He can bear the weight of our expectations. There's this game that we play in our comfortable, for me, South Winnipeg suburban life. The game is one that keeps others at arm's length. It it hides our brokenness to save face. It it places our hopes and expectations in the things of this world or, or things that might not even be that bad, but just things that become idols. And this game is corrupt, and in it we are bound to lose. But the way of Jesus Christ presents you and I with a better way, a more sustainable way, a more hopeful way, a way in which we grow in our ability to fear not, a way in which we learn by God's grace to stand strong in our faith, Uh, a way in which we learn to be still, allowing God to do the heavy lifting on our behalf. It's, It's a way in which we aren't crippled by shattered expectations, no matter how much they may hurt, but rather where we are comforted where we are called sons and daughters of the Most High, where expectation is actually placed on Christ, the only one who who can carry the weight of our expectation, and where He actually places an expectation back on us as He commissions us to go out, to share the good news of Jesus, to baptize, to teach, to serve, to love others as Christ has loved us, to live as forebearers of a world that we have yet to see in all of its fullness, the kingdom of heaven. Here is my guarantee for you 
soul sanctuary. Your life will never be free from suffering, but you can know the one who has suffered on your behalf. Your expectations in this life will never be fully met, but you can love the one who bore the weight of the world on his shoulders and left no one wanting. There will come a time where you will be shaken to your core when fear is all around you and it's all that you can see as the darkness closes in. But in that time, you can know the light, the one whom we can learn to be not afraid. One day your legs will no longer hold you, but you can know the one who carries you and who shows you how to stand strong. One day your facade will crumble. But you can know the one who meets us where we are at and who whispers to us, be still. Jesus Christ invites you into relationship with him. And only he can bear the weight of your expectations. And he stands at the door and he knocks. And the question is, will you let him in? Let's pray. Father God, loving and merciful Savior, we cry out to you for salvation. You bear the pain of your people and we come to you fragmented, tired of faking it, knowing we need you. So grant us the gift of wisdom that we may discern your way and teach us to not be afraid. Show us how to stand firm and lead us in your way, the way of life everlasting. By your loving grace, may we recognize our inability to save ourselves and may we cleave to the eternal hope that is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The blessing today comes from uh, Psalm 146. So in times of old, the one giving a blessing would extend hands, and those receiving it would do likewise. Psalm 146, soul sanctuary. As you go, go praising the Lord. Praise the Lord as long as you live and sing his praises all your life long. Don't put your trust in yourself or in any mere mortals in whom there is no help but soul sanctuary. Put your hope in the Lord our God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who sets prisoners free, who opens the eyes of the blind, who lifts up the lowly, who watches over strangers, who upholds the orphan and the widow, who brings the wicked to ruin, and who will reign forever. Go praising the one the only one who can bear the weight of your expectations, the one 